Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about the impact of human-centered automation on the customer experience. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Charlie Newark French, Interim CEO at Hyperscience. Charlie, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So why don't we start by you giving a little background on yourself and your role at Hyperscience? Absolutely. I'm Charlie. I grew up in London originally, that sort of uh, tells in my voice. <laughs> um, moved to the US about 14 years ago, and I've been working in technology uh, that entire period of time, mostly in enterprise software. Became very interested in artificial intelligence about 10 years ago uh, and joined Hyperscience. Machine learning is core to everything we do here four years ago. Took the interim CEO role about uh, a year ago now. Great, great. So we're here to talk about human-centered automation and its impact on the customer experience. So we're going to start by um, talking about the impact it can have on the employee experience and, and the workplace. So for those less familiar with the term, can you provide your definition of human-centered automation? Absolutely. The big thesis here, Greg, is that the future is humans working alongside machines artificial intelligence and human intelligence combining together for substantially better outcomes all around. When I think of better outcomes, there's really three better outcomes. And this is, these are the three tenets of human-centered automation. The first, and I say this first because it is by far the most important, is that any automation, any AI deployment, any software that's getting out there has to have the end consumer at the core. So it needs to have better outcomes. Examples with hyperscience are faster onboarding, faster claims payment, faster loans issuing, much better customer experience, customer service. These are things that customers or end consumers are now expecting. And the combination of AI and human intelligence really results in much better outcomes. So that, that's the sort of four, first core tenant. The second is this idea, you mentioned it, of employee experience, employee engagement. I probably don't need to, to mention on this podcast all of the uh, interesting words like quiet quitting and right. um, the sort of mass exodus we're seeing in companies right now. People, employees really care about their experience at work and they're not just taking any job they can, they're taking jobs where they get some degree of fulfillment. You'll find a lot of work out there is incredibly monotonous, mundane and repetitive. And humans are actually very bad at repetitive tasks. The second you give someone a repetitive task after about two or three hours, their performance at that starts to drop off. They just dislike it so much that they start making human errors. We think that artificial intelligence should be taking over that mundane repetitive work 
and that the higher order tasks should be done by people. And there needs to be some sort of seamless handoff there uh, between the two. So customer experience, employee experience, and the third is just we think that everything can be a lot smoother with that combination of the two pieces of technology. So we just think outcomes, cost basis, revenue basis, efficiency for the company itself is a lot better when you combine those two. And that's really what human-centered automation is. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for thanks for giving that definition. And so kind of to follow on, I think point number two in particular, you know, there's there's a lot of misunderstanding of what automation is and what it's going to do in the workplace. Uh, there's a lot of people who they, they fear the robots are going to take their jobs or replace humans entirely in the workplace. You know, wh- what do you say to those people um, uh, about that, that kind of thinking? Yeah, I'd say two things, which is there is fear to be had. But if we have that fear in the right place, I think we can, we can approach the problem in the right way. And it's actually a good outcome all around. And then mostly is that that fear is misplaced. And I'll start with that area. We've spoken about the idea that robots will take humans' jobs really my entire career. I started my career about 14, 15 years ago, and I always heard that AI or some form of software or some form of machines is going to take jobs. And we've really not seen that uh, to any degree yet. In fact, if you look across the last 30 years, 30 million jobs in the US have been added. We've gone from in 1990, 100 million jobs to um, last year, 130 million jobs. So despite sort of economists and skeptics really for the last hundred years saying jobs will go away, jobs are only being added. We, we are a, a species that tends to like more in the areas we work in, more financial service products, more insurance products, more B2B uh, work with invoices and, and, and other areas. Yeah. And that thirst for more with our species doesn't necessarily go away. So if we can continue to fulfill that, in an efficient way, I think that's a good outcome all around. I read an article, this is still speaking to the idea that this is not going away. I read an article in the New York Times recently that phrased it in a way that I really like, which is the way that I see the future here, which is that the dialogue is moving away from when will robots replace humans to a much smarter phrasing of the question, which is, when humans who work alongside robots replace humans who don't work alongside mm, robots. Interesting. And the example in that one, which I really liked, is radiology. Now radiology can much more reliably diagnose simple diseases. If you've got a simple cancer that's easy to diagnose, you're just reliably going to get that from an AI versus a person. Very high numbers on both sides, but better on the AI side. Yeah. The number of radiologists over the last five years has continued to go up. But those radiologists now leverage AI to do a much better job. So the end consumer, which in this case is the healthcare patient at um, the hospital, are getting better outcomes. They're getting better diagnoses, more reliable, more people are able to be treated. They're thirst for more, right? We want better healthcare all around. We want more diagnosis of these diseases, not less. You're getting better outcomes, but you're not seeing fewer employees. Yeah. Now, the counter to this is over the last 30 years, jobs have been displaced, but they tend to be displaced at a rate that if we get training in, if we up-level people in their jobs piece by piece, right? This isn't somebody going and that doesn't have a coding degree going, getting a coding degree. This is somebody learning a little bit more about AI uh, and slowly transitioning to this. I think that 
displacement will happen, but I don't think that will be a sort of mass loss of jobs. And I'll say one more thing here, which I'm sure we'll speak about later, is I think of AI in a very similar light to the internet. The internet is pervasive in everything we do today. It just makes it, it makes us a lot more efficient at work, a lot more efficient in our personal lives. Very few of us understand how the internet works, yeah. like in any real meaningful, useful way. And I sort of think about that with AI. You're going to have these group of ML ops teams that are going to deeply need to understand how to write an ML program. And then you're just going to have this vast group of people, which is effectively every knowledge worker in the world in five years' time, is going to need to know how to engage with AI. But that is going to be, with training, simple training, a very easy thing, I think. Yeah. 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 And I, I like that internet example as well. I mean, I, you know, I, you can think of the, the internet or even, you know, just search engines themselves as I call it augmentation really of our, you know, I, it's almost augmentation of our memories. Right. So I don't have to remember half the stuff I used to because I have to, I now have Google. (laughs) Right. So I can just, I can just look it up and, and stuff like that. And I, I look at, I look at it as well, augmentation in the workplace, not replacement. And in some cases, to your point, there have been jobs that have actually been replaced and, and stuff. But, you know, to what you were saying earlier, those numbers are actually a lot lower than some might think, you know, it, than it might seem, let's say. And and so, you know, this kind of goes more to the, the employee experience. When we look at augmentation and, and improving the employee experience, you know, what where do you see opportunities to actually improve the the employee experience by, you know, doing using automation in smart ways? Absolutely. I'll give the hyper science example here, but most of the examples that will be given for the next three or four years are your very simple repetitive tasks that no one really wants to be doing. So you'll see this in call centers, you'll see this in mail rooms, you'll see it in any area. There's just a lot of high volume of repetitive work. So at hyper science, we read human readable data, emails, mortgages, deeds, passports, those sort of things. The past, which is when I started at HyperScience, it still exists today, but I refer to it as the past, is warehouses of data keys. People reading emails, boarding, people extracting bits of data from an invoice. And these people exist, these warehouses exist in the US as well as offshore. People tend to think of this as an offshore thing, but I've been to these warehouses in the US where you have rooms locked, you can't take your phone in and you're looking at two screens. One screen is, in, is some form of human readable data and then another is some form of data entry area. Yeah. This still exists today. The future of that is that that mundane work shouldn't be being done by a person. Those people should be maybe um, validating this as a real passport with, their, with some view or they should, be say, or they should be doing a loan to value ratio, very simple math to say, yes, this person is eligible for this loan before I hand it off to the next person. Just bit by bit elevating their work. But that mundane repetitive work should go away. And I'll give you, I alluded it to it earlier, Greg, but I'll give you the extreme example in our industry yeah. is after four hours, most of our customers before they have hyperscience start double keying that data. They start mm. having a second person check the work or do the work. And the second person doesn't know they're just repeating someone else's work. But because human error starts to creep in after that mundane period of time, you need to uh, have a, a second person doing it. Um, yeah. the, the other area which hyperscience doesn't work in, but is very easy to sort of conceive of is in call centers. You mentioned sort of the internet as a database of knowledge. 
now in call centers, what you're starting to see is as someone says a buzzword or an account number or thing, software in the background is pulling up information and presenting it to the employee. So someone, when I phone up and say, I need to move my flight, I want to fly from Saturday, something's listening in the background, a machine, a piece of AI, and then surfacing up the information for that knowledge worker or for that call center agent to do their job much faster, much more efficiently. And what that means is I'm on like, I'm on that call for five minutes instead of 30 minutes. And hopefully I get a much better outcome and I'm less frustrated person keying away on their laptop the whole time uh, and a better experience all around. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Basecamp. Throughout my career, whether it was at my own agency or now as a consultant, Basecamp is what we rely on to help keep projects on track, on schedule, and on budget. It takes a straightforward approach to project management, it streamlines workflow management, and definitely keeps the team in the loop and on top of ongoing updates, which all are major components in a smooth-running operation. No matter if it's a simple campaign or a multi-million dollar project, Basecamp has been a key ingredient in the recipe for a successful project and business. If you're struggling with projects, sign up for Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you all their features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com Agile, that's Basecamp.com A-G-I-L-E, and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel anytime. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get back to the show. So let's uh, let's take a look at this from the the customer's perspective. But first, I know you've mentioned a few things already in what hyperscience does, but I think it might help the the audience a little bit if you could just just kind of explain, you know, what type of organizations does hyperscience work with, and and what type of challenges are you are you generally solving? We work with a wide variety of organizations. The examples that, that are easiest to understand are often insurance, which is about 25% of our revenue and financial services, which is about 25% of our revenue. On the insurance side, we've managed to take down claims processing with one company from an average of 15 days to an average of four hours. Wow. That's when you submit your claim you sit around waiting, not knowing what's happening. Maybe you, you're asked for an additional piece of information, an invoice, a proof of water damage or whatever insurance claim you're doing. And then eventually you get yes or no. We've reduced that from 15 days for one, for one customer to four hours. A very, very meaningful impact. The future we hope yeah. for is that four hours is four minutes and you sit there watching a little loading bar going around. And it's like, yes, you got paid out or no, there's some issue, and then you're routing to a person to actually go and do it. But that is something that is extremely real. A lot of the people that are end consumers need that money to come through to continue living their life. Maybe their car's been damaged, maybe the house has been damaged, and they don't have a whole load of savings often to be able to wait. 15 days was actually a good number to start with, but um, some of the companies we see are sort of three, four months. So that's, that's uh, an example of the impact that we try to have using AI. Yeah, yeah. And um, having been on the, the customer side of that before. Um, right, we've all been that. Yeah, yeah. I rem- I think the most, um, <laughs> the, the one that comes to mind for me, uh, you know, brand new car and it was parked outside my house and a, a delivery van must have driven too close to it and literally ripped the front end of my car, off, like the bumper and everything like that. And so, you know, I'm sitting... 
my insurance company is is treats me well or whatever but the actual the process took way too long to your to your point it took it took days and weeks to really get anything finalized versus man if i could have had answers in four hours that would be that would be amazing (laughs) so i can um i can empathize with the the customer benefit in all of this well, Greg, I'm sorry that you had that happen. It sounds brutal. But what, what you'll see um, is if when you have that experience, you want to engage with insurance less. Yeah. The best experience I've ever had is with my iPhone. I insure it a few dollars a month. It takes me three clicks when I, when I get a new iPhone. That one makes me want to engage more. I never had iPhone insurance before that because it was just the claiming it, the filling out forms, absolutely miserable. Yeah. The more the the better the experience here, actually, you'll see more services, and that sort of gets to this idea of where jobs go as well. Is jobs will change, but demand for these products will go up if you get it right. Yeah, and there's I think there's a lot of focus on customer experience. Certainly, I talk a, about customer experience a lot on this show, and how often customer experience means hands-on approach and personalized service and some of that is personalized and and automated you know through marketing automation journey orchestration things like that but a lot of that is personalized human hands-on service but at the end of the day just even from this example alone you know would you say it's true that you know customers may care less about the the hands-on than they do about just getting their problem solved in an effective and and efficient way I think that's exactly right, Greg. I I would go as far as to say customers really don't care how it's solved. They care that it is solved accurately and they care that it's solved quickly. And they don't care what happens in the background. And I think exposing them to what happens in the background is entirely unnecessary. But what this leads to is the need for human-centered automation, the need for the combination of AI plus human intelligence. The reason, I don't know if you have the same experience, but anytime I'm referred to a chatbot on a website or sometimes when I, when I call my um, airline company, they say, do you want to uh, text with a chatbot? Uh, they don't call it a chatbot, but it's very clearly a chatbot. Yeah. I don't want to engage because it's not yet, the technology's not yet there for it. So you have these techno- technology applications that aren't quite there giving people bad experience. Whereas if you allow the technology to do what it's really, really good at, but only that. And the second it's not good at it, to know that it's not good at it and to hand that over to a person seamlessly, right? This is never seen by the end consumer. It's never exposed to them. Then that end consumer gets a quick, the quickest possible best result that they can for whatever that issue they're trying to solve. And yeah. they don't care who, who's behind the scenes solving that. Yeah. And I mean, to me, that that seems more like the augmentation approach as opposed you know, the, the chatbot, in other words. And uh, yeah, I've, right. I've used plenty of chatbots that send me in circles and, um, and stuff like right. that as well. And that's not that's not augmentation or even replacement, because, you know, sure enough, I'm going to end up on the phone with somebody or emailing or, or doing some or just throwing up my hands and walking away. But um, augmentation is really, you know, I think more more what you're saying, which is okay. Let's let's automate the stuff that really, uh, you know, machines do better than humans, and let the humans, you know, benefit from that. Yeah, my experience, Greg, is that a hundred percent automation is effectively zero percent automation. Anytime you're given to something which doesn't have a a human in the loop is what I, is what we refer to it as. It doesn't have a way of engaging a person where it doesn't know the answer. 
the experience tends to be so bad that you are set back to square one where you call somebody you're probably more frustrated at that point of calling somebody because of the last five minutes of wasted time that maybe it isn't even right a hundred percent results in zero percent maybe it's a hundred percent results in extreme frustration and a negative starting point yeah yeah so um i know you've you've shared some some examples of of the types of work that you do but um do you mind sharing an example of uh, maybe one of your customers and and how greater automation can improve that customer experience yeah i'll give an example uh, with um motor insurance so one of our companies one of our customers in europe wanted to it's a digital first company so they don't have any physical presence any real estate presence they wanted to issue motor insurance their promise to customers was five percent lower price than you get anywhere else and approved the same day and the idea was you bring a competitive quote, you give all your details, your driving record, your vehicle identity number, your pass, your, your um, driver's license, all of that. And they would quickly process it and say, yes, we're giving you at exactly 5% lower. We have helped them deliver on the sort of speed side of that, processing all of that data in a very fast period of time, giving people their car insurance. Yeah or their motor insurance uh, very quickly. And again, it comes down to this. The, the, the thing that I think most people want is when they go and engage with financial services, insurance products, if you can have that loading bar, uh, get down to a few minutes, get down to a few seconds even, and then you, you know yes or no, it's just a, an amazing customer experience. And people leave fit, feeling extremely positive about that company. That's great. That's great. So the last thing I wanted to touch on is uh, just, you know, where, where you see the future of, of human machine collaboration. We touched on this a little bit at the very beginning as well. But, you know, where, where do you see the biggest areas of growth and improvement that maybe you see in your work with, with human machine interaction and collaboration? Yeah, the comparison I like to give is the internet. Artificial intelligence will be using absolutely every single thing we do. When I'm at work, I use the internet in ways that I don't even think about. When I message someone on Slack or I email someone or I get on a um, now a Google Doc to cre collaboratively create a document, every single place I engage at work has the internet infrastructure running underneath it. And it was very hard for us to truly imagine at the point of the internet starting what all of those use cases would be. And it's comical to look back uh, at the videos of people predicting what it was going to be used for 20, 30 years ago. I think this time, because we've gone through that experience, we've got a better idea. But the best way of me thinking about it is every single thing you do, even when you're writing a Slack message, let's go back to that example, there might be a, a predicted sort of reply based on knowledge that sits on your software or recordings with your voice or other ways you've replied to message. You've got a suggested reply that say if you're typing it, you tweak a few things and then you get sent. But it, every single area will engage with AI, we just won't think of it as AI. We'll just be thought of like the internet as, as something that's happening in the background that allows that application to function in a very fast way. What I will say is I think we're a long way from artificial general intelligence. Mm. Most of the use cases for the next five or 10 years, certainly in the workplace, certainly in the enterprise, will be specific level artificial intelligence. You'll find apps that are extremely good at creating a certain kind of content. You'll find apps that are extremely good, like hyperscience, at 
uh, reading content. And the key is going to be applying those specific artificial intelligence algorithms to specific use cases and not expecting something to do, to take learnings from one instance and apply them in an entirely different area. There's, there's not yet algorithms out there that take learnings from one setting and can apply them in a completely different setting like a human brain can. Yeah. If I have a, a great chess algorithm, it can't go and play Go. Uh, right. So it, it, I think it's going to be pervasive, but many narrow applications versus sort of one system to rule them all. This is a sort of five or 10 year prediction. I don't think a artificial intent, uh, general intelligence is an unsolvable thing. I just think we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, Charlie, um, thanks so much for joining the show. I, one last question before we wrap up here. So uh, you've given a lot of great advice already, but you know, what's, what's one piece of advice you'd have for companies that are, you know, they, they understand that automation could help you could help them, but uh, they're looking to invest in automation to improve both employee and customer experience as they navigate the months ahead. Yeah, I guess I'm going to give you three pieces, uh, Greg, if that's sure, okay, sure. and still sure. a little bit of time here. Look, the first is we're, we're entering a tough economic environment. We may already be in it, but anyone that's resisting investment in this area is going to find themselves making a big mistake. And the example I love to give here recently is Southwest. There are multiple reasons for the Southwest failings over the last uh, two or three weeks, yeah. but the biggest one is outdated software. They had software that really wasn't up to solving this problem. And companies that don't invest now in, in this next wave of technology are going to find themselves exponentially far behind competitors that uh, do invest in it. Now, the upside is if you, you've sort of missed the last wave of technology upgrades, you can somewhat leapfrog your competitors if you make the bets now, but now is absolutely the time to invest. That brings me to the second thing, which is I would only recommend people to invest, particularly in the current climate, in stuff that actually works. Uh, anyone that gives you the sort of five-year promise of um, build this business process out, invest in this, and you're going to have a great new system, that's a very untenable bet to be making right now. This needs to have, you need to look for software investments, automation, AI that has short-term ROI, but also long-term ROI. So I've always been very negative on robotic process automation, certainly the first iteration of it, because it didn't really have long-term ROI. It was more of a band-aid. Um, and then the third point here, Greg, is just know where you are, what A is, and know where you want to go, what B is, and paint a bridge to that. I often see customers not being realistic about either A, where you are, or B, where you want to go. And it's a disaster either way. If you're not honest about where you are and you try to force your company, your, your customer base, or some stakeholder to make a change they're not ready to make. I'll give an example here is that one customer I work with 2% of their customers still engage with them over fax. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. But that 2% just isn't going to go away unless you lose one, lose 2% of your revenue, which most people don't. So know where you are, but then what's the vision for where you want to be? What time frame and paint a bridge story, uh, a pile to from A to B? Yeah. Wonderful. Great, great stuff there. Well, ag again, I'd like to thank Charlie Newark French, interim CEO at Hyperscience, for joining the show. You can learn more about Charlie and Hyperscience by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. 
If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.